And if you are able, and you would like, if you would stand for the reading of the holy words of God. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gathered them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you. Lord, help us here this morning to do just that. Lord, you truly are the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And I would just ask that you would grow your branches this morning, your children. Lord, that you would prune from our lives what needs to be cut, that you would give life to the dead branches, and that you would do what only you can do, and that you would bring souls to life, and that you would grow our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to be faithful to your word, to give a message that is according to your will. And Lord, help everything that we do here this morning be for your glory. I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so before we get into it, I need to set the context so we can remember where we're at in the Gospel of John. So Jesus' hour is fast approaching, that hour of His crucifixion. Here soon He will be at the Garden of Gethsemane, and then arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And as the Lord is going away to His death, He is now teaching His disciples what they need to know before He leaves, before that hour. He is preparing them to lead His church. He is preparing their hearts to persevere without Him. And so here in John chapter 15, we hear another of the great I Am statements of Jesus. And to this point in the Gospel of John, we've heard Jesus make these claims seven times. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are the sayings of Jesus. These are His claims. And each and every one of them, He starts them with, I am. And every Jew that heard this in the first century would have known exactly what Jesus was claiming. That He was claiming the very name of God. And if you recall at the burning bush, when God was speaking to Moses, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is His name? What shall I say to them? And this is God's response to Moses. I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And so Jesus claims to be I am. The great I am. The self-existent God. The eternal God. The one who has never had a beginning. The 
never changing, eternal God of the universe. He is the first and the last, the creator and sustainer of all life. The one and true only living God, the I am. That is who your Lord and Savior claims to be. And to this point in the Gospel of John, it has been made clear to us that Jesus is God and he is God in the flesh. In John 1.1, if you recall, it says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you recall, at this point, throughout the Gospel of John, the Jewish leaders wanted to stone Jesus Christ. They wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Why did they want to kill Him? In John 5.18, we read, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Also, in John 8, 58, when Jesus says that before Abraham was that I am, Jesus again claiming to be the great I am, the Jewish people, when they heard this, they picked up stones to throw at him because of his claim to be God. Why did the Jewish people want to stone Christ? Because they considered him a blasphemer. They didn't believe that a man that was physically in front of them could ever be God. But Jesus was no blasphemer. He is the only one who's ever claimed God in all of history that actually came with the power and the authority of heaven. We see Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture back up His claims to be the one and only true and living God. We see Him walk on water. We see Him calm storms. We see Him raise the dead, cause the lame to walk, and give sight to the blind, just to name a few. And so to this point in time in the Gospel of John, Jesus has claimed fully to be God, both fully God and fully man, the second member of the triune God, God the Son. And here, this God claims to be the vine. That is the one and only true vine. Now I'm going to tell you why Jesus claims to be the true vine. Two reasons. In the Old Testament, oftentimes Israel, the nation of God, was considered the vine. But oftentimes in the Old Testament, when Israel is spoken of, of a vine, they were spoken of as a fruitless vine, an unfaithful vine. It was God's rebuke to Israel. And so when Jesus says that he is the true vine, he is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the true Israel. He is the one that will not fall. He is the one that will produce fruit. And so this is what Jesus is claiming. Before we go any further, I think there's a bad teaching, a false teaching that is out there that I want to address. It's very prevalent in our culture. It's about Israel and their future salvation. See, there are some teachers out there that teach that Israel will come to faith in God apart from Jesus Christ. That they will follow the old covenant in the future and that they will be saved through their keeping of the law. But this is not what the Bible teaches. This isn't even close to what the New New Testament teaches. In Romans 11, the Apostle Paul speaks of a day where the hardening of the hearts of the Jewish people, that is the ethnic Jews, will be removed and their eyes will be opened, their ears will be able to hear, but they will be saved in the same way that you and I are saved. And that is through faith in the true vine, 
Jesus Christ. And so, yes, they've been cut off in judgment. Their hearts have been hardened in judgment. But God will once again bring them back into that true and living vine, Jesus Christ. And any person that ever would come to God and be saved comes through the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And this is the only way to come to the Father. And so, secondly, Jesus uses the metaphor of a vine because of the agricultural culture of the day. He, he speaks this way because every single first century Jew in hearing him, especially his disciples, would know exactly. They would understand the metaphor that Jesus is trying to get across. Because vines, grapes, this was the livelihood of the Jewish people in the first century. And so he says to the disciples... He gives this teaching to the disciples, but really, it is for every Christian throughout history, and it is totally applicable to our life here today. And so as we get into the text, there are some key points that I want you to keep in mind. Two types of branches as we get in. There are two types of branches, dead ones and living ones. There are two types of people as we get into the text. Those who have been born again, and those that are born again will abide. And those who have a false profession of faith, the dead branches, they have no life in them. They don't, they don't have any true saving faith. Amen. And a very important thing to remember as we go through this John chapter 15, abiding or remaining in Jesus Christ is a result of saving faith. Did you hear me on that? Abiding is a result of of saving faith, not the cause of saving faith. It is through our faith that we are saved. It is through our faith in Christ that we are saved. And those who are saved by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, will abide in Christ. It is a result of your faith, not the cause of your faith. And so often it is said, I've heard R.C. Sproul say it many times, that there is a difference between one who actually possesses faith in Jesus Christ and one who merely professes a faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that as we get into the text. And so with that, let's get right into it. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is the true vine. There is no other true vine. There will be false religions out there that promise a way to life, that promise a way to the Father, that promise eternal life. But listen, apart from Jesus Christ, there is only one true and living vine. There's only one life or one vine that a branch can find life in, and that is Jesus Christ. And listen, the church, the people, what we do, reading our Bibles, praying, that is not the anchor and the core of our faith. It is the vine. Jesus Christ is absolutely the core of the Christian faith. He is our faith. And that true vine is Jesus Christ. And there is absolutely no other. Amen. And He is the only vine to find life in. The Father is the vine dresser. So here we see the Father and the Son are one working together in the believer's life. He is the farmer or the gardener, the one who prunes, the one who cuts away the dead branches. And so in verse 2 we read, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this is the father. He cuts away. He cuts away the dead branches. And dead branches are that. They are dead branches. We don't need to take the metaphor too far and assume that the dead branch had life in it. I'll give you an example of that. Judas. No one would ever assume that Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, the one who the Gospel of John tells us is a devil, no one would ever assume that he was a Christian. But yet, he attaches himself to Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He claims to be in the vine. He claims to be a Christian. But the entire time, he is a dead branch. Someone that merely just professes a faith in Christ. Amen. But does not possess it. And so he's not living. Judas was not a living branch. He was a dead branch. And so Judas was not a Christian. And oftentimes we think that when Jesus says this, we think of that, that he's talking about those who do not work hard enough to abide and then they will be cut off. But listen, remember what I said, saving faith in our hearts is what causes us to abide. The father will actually prune his children. He will cause you to persevere. He will work in your life to give you the circumstances that you need to grow spiritually in him. But Judas, the false professor, literally was cut off. As we see in chapter 13, there he went out from the disciples. He was no longer one of them. It became evident. Why was this? Well, remember Judas, he used Christ for his own gain. He was hoping to get rich, rich off of Jesus Christ. He was hoping to become famous. He was hoping to get that seat of prominence in Christ's kingdom. There was no heart change. He came to Christ for selfish reason. There was no repentance in his life. There was no turning away from the world. There was no rebirth. As Jesus said, one must be born again in order to even see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And it's much like in our current culture, people pray the prayer, they come forward, they come to the altar, they say they want Christ, then they go out from here and they live like a devil. Amen. They live like Amen. the world. And so they have made a profession of faith. They've attached themselves to Jesus Christ for some reason. But it, I promise you, this is a selfish reason. They're looking for what Jesus Christ can give them rather than coming to Christ for Christ. And so Judas was like this type of Christian. And Jesus says that many will be like Judas on that last day. When they face the judgment of Christ, many will be like that on that last day. That They have just merely made a profession of faith and they have never possessed it. They've attached themselves to Jesus Christ for some selfish reason. And you know this in our culture. You know this to be absolutely true. We run into people all the time in our life that live like a devil, that live like the world, but yet they'll tell you that they are a Christian. They will tell you that they believe in Jesus. They will tell you that He's their Savior. And even those who come to church, even those who go through the motions of the faith, they can even be false professors of Jesus Christ. They are hoping that the good that they are doing in their life will earn them to heaven, earn their, their right into heaven. But we know 
And it is only by the work of Christ that one could earn eternal life. And so in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus speaks of these false professors and he says that we will know them by their fruits. We'll know them by the way their life is lived. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Now listen, these people, they prophesied in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They did mighty works in his name. And yet Jesus still says, depart from me. And so fast forward today. These are the ones that says, Lord, I've gone to church every single Sunday my entire life. God, I've prayed. God, I read my Bible. Depart from me. I never knew you. He's looking for one who would know him who has a lasting relationship in Him that will abide or remain in Him. And Jesus tells us of these dead branches. We learn of the dead branches and what their life will look like in 1 John 2.19. It says, They came out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, speaking of those like Judas, the false professors, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it, might be bec- that it might become plain that they are not of us. And so eventually those who have made just merely a false profession of faith, those who have claimed Christ for their own selfish reason, they will go out from the faith and it will become plain that they were never truly a living branch. They were never truly born again. And how will they go out? Well, they'll surround themselves with pastors that tickle their ears. They'll go off to churches that tell them what they want to hear rather than the hard truth of God's word. They'll go. You'll see them turn to liberalism where they'll say God's word's not really God's word. Or should we take it serious? Or do we have to take it literal? They'll condone things that God hates like abortion and so-called same-sex marriage. They'll forsake the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they'll... They will no longer preach that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. They will then teach that you will be able to earn your way through good works to heaven. And it will become plain to those who read the scriptures, those who are in Christ, that they have gone out from us so that we would know that they were never of us. And as Jesus said, there will be many on that last day. Let's take his word serious. Many on that last day who will say to him, Lord, I knew you. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. But he talks of the Christian, the one who is pruned in this verse. The father, he prunes, he cuts the Christian back. So this is the one who's been born again. This is the one who's experienced the life change. This is the one that has called on the name of the Lord. This is the one who is a new creation in Christ. The one who has had a heart of stone taken out and given a heart of flesh. This is the one who's moved from darkness to the light. This is the one who's been taken out of the kingdom of Satan 
and placed into the kingdom of God, had their minds illumined to understand the things of God, given ears to hear. This person that I speak of that has truly been born again by the power of God the Holy Spirit will abide in Christ. They will remain in Christ. They will be fed by that vine. They will be given life by that vine. And they will persevere in their faith. And God the Father will make sure of it by pruning us, by guiding us, by doing what He must do in order to help us on our path. And so let's talk about the pruning for a little bit. What's pruning in one's life look like? What is God doing in your life to prune back the sin, to prune back the diseased branches, to prune back what is dead? Now you think about it, in gardening, you prune in order to, so that the, the vine would produce more fruit. You don't want diseased or dead branches or fruitless branches to hinder the fruit bearing of the vine. And so in the same way, the Father doesn't want what is dead, sinful, and diseased in our life to hinder our fruit bearing as Christians. And so I want to talk about sanctification for a minute. The word sanctification literally means set apart. And so when you trust in Christ, when you repent of your, your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you are set apart. You are sanctified. You have, been, you have been made a part of His holy nation, His children, His people. You are God's people. Much like the children of Israel were in the Old Testament, that was His set apart people. Those who trust in Christ are His set apart people now. And so this is what sanctification means in the immediate, what happens when one believes. But theologians speak of another type of sanctification that happens after your immediate sanctification, and that's called progressive sanctification. And that your conduct in life, the way that you move, the way that you act, the way that you think is actually progressively being changed from one degree of glory to the next. You are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is causing you to bear fruit in your life. And this is what the pruning is in our life. It's called progressive sanctification. And listen, I have to be honest about this. That we only truly grow in our spirituality oftentimes when we experience the hard times in life. Amen. And this is when the Father chooses to prune this is when the Father chooses to both cut and heal us. And listen, pruning is not comfortable. Pruning is painful. Pruning can hurt. And as we read His Word, as we grow in Christ, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, it can hurt. And oftentimes, you should be very concerned if you're very comfortable in life. Because it takes hard times for us to grow. And when we are comfortable, we neglect our spiritual walk with God. We neglect His goodness. We neglect to praise Him. We neglect to walk with Him. And so in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, we hear an in-depth teaching on how God disciplines those who He loves. How He prunes those who He loves. And I will just read, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate children and not a son. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And so God is a good father. He's a father that loves you. He is a father that loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. He has started a good work within you. And he has now put you on a path to conform you to the image of his son. Now, I want you to think about this for a little while. If you were in a store and you saw a father and a son interacting and the son would not listen to his dad, the son was absolutely rebellious. What would we all say about that child? We would say that kid is spoiled. And think about the word spoiled. It means rotten. We'd think that child is rotten. And what would we want that dad to do? Discipline your son. Get a hold of your son. And we, if a dad is willing to do the hard thing, if a father is willing to do the hard thing and discipline their children, then we would consider them a good father. They want to save their child from the rottenness. They want to save their child from being spoiled. They want to do the hard thing. And so God is no different. He desires to do the hard thing in our life. He wants to discipline those who he loves. You know, I, I talk with little Elijah. He's turning five. And I often tell him, Elijah, you've got to listen to your dad. And he's like, okay, daddy. I'll say, please listen to dad. Why do you need to listen to dad? And he'll say, because God told, God says so. And I'm like, you're right. God does say so. And then I'll ask him, is God good? And he'll say, yes, dad, God's good. Can we, can we trust God? Yes, we can trust God. And so at the youngest age, I'm teaching him that he has every reason to trust God. He has every reason to say that God is good. And though it might not feel good to him to have to listen to dad. Listen, he wants to play with Legos and play video games already at such a young age. He wants to do nothing that his dad wants him to do. So it doesn't feel good to listen to his dad. But I'm teaching him that God is good and that he can trust God. And so he has to do what is not comfortable. And so listen. We know this from Scripture, as this can be a tough teaching for us because we want what is easy. We want what feels good. We want to be happy. We want to be comfortable. But we know from His Word that all things, God is working every single thing in His creation out according to the counsel of His will. We know that our God is good beyond measure, that He is pure perfection. We also know that he is worthy of our trust. We also know that for those who are called according to his purposes and who love God, he's working every single thing out in your life for your good. Not for your happiness, not for anything other than your good. And as we would say to our kids, this is for your own good. God says to us, this is for your own good. And then on top of that, we know that all things are working for his 
glory. And so as we go through these struggles and suffering in life, it doesn't necessarily feel good. It's increasing our spirituality. It's increasing our depth of relationship with Him. It's increasing our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are bringing fruit, glory to God throughout it. And so I want you, I urge you this morning to count it all as joy. Whatever you are going through in life, count it all as joy. God is working in your life. Right now, He is working in your life. He is conforming you to the image of His Son. We don't necessarily understand why every circumstance happens, but we know that God is using it for His purposes and for your good. And all ultimately for His glory. In the same way, you wouldn't want to leave your child rotten. God doesn't want to leave you as a sinner. He is setting you apart. He has commanded each and every one of us to be holy as He is holy. And that is the work that He is doing in your life by pruning you, His branch. And so this produces real fruit in our lives. Real, life-changing fruit in our lives. So what fruit, may you ask? It, repentance is number one. As we grow in holiness, as we become more and more aware of our sin, we repent. We repent often as Christians. We repent daily. We see our sin. We see how far away we are from God. We see how desperately we need Him. We repent. Holy living is another fruit The fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our life, our life, our conduct, holy living. Our lives start to change. We start to love God and love neighbor. We were never able to do so before. We have a growing trust. We have a growing faith in Jesus Christ. This is a fruit that comes from the pruning. Answered prayer. As we start to pray God's will after Him, as we start to think as God would have us think, as we are restored to that image that He created us in that was marred by sin, we start to have prayers answered because they're according to God's will. And then we see in our lives that we are a part of the advancing of God's work here on earth. That great commission, the gospel going forth, that as Christians, we're not merely hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And ultimately, all this fruit, it brings glory to God. Because He's taken a rebel. He has taken a sinner. He's taken that rotten child He set them on a different path. He's given them different desires. And He is bringing glory to His name by it. So in 15.3 we read, Speaking to the disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. And so we've heard of the abiding, we've heard of the pruning, we've heard of sanctification, but this all comes after we have been made clean. Remember that saving faith causes us to abide. It's not our abiding that causes us to be clean. It is by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. It's by His life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's about His perfect life that we couldn't live. It's about His death that we deserve. It's about what Jesus has done and trusting in His words that makes us clean. And once we are clean, once we've been changed by the power of God, then we begin to abide. Then the pruning takes place. 
in our life. So in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Amen. So here we hear the command from Christ to abide in him. Literally means to remain. To remain in Christ. So what does abiding look like? This is resting in Christ. All life comes from that vine. No branch could have life apart from the vine. You rest in the work of Jesus Christ. You rest in what He does. Remember, the core of our faith is Jesus Christ. That is where we remain. That is where we rest. That is what we trust in. So abiding has to do with devotion. You devote yourself to Christ. You trust in Christ. You depend on Jesus Christ. You rely on Jesus Christ. You walk with Jesus Christ. You obey Jesus Christ. This is what abiding means. You converse with Him through prayer. And He converses with you through the reading of His Word. You have a relationship. You know Him unlike the ones that merely profess faith. And so, you know, Ben's been talk, talked about the Passover in, in recent weeks. And if you remember, they were called to stay inside. Because what was happening outside? Judgment and death. So they were told to stay inside. And Jesus here is calling you to remain in Him. What's happening outside of the vine? Branches are getting cut off and burnt. Judgment, eternal death. That's what's happening outside of the vine. We are to remain, to stay in Christ as Christians. Amen. And listen, in this, in abiding, in remaining in Him, this is the only place where you will bear fruit. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the true vine, there is no fruit of life. There's nothing worthwhile. It is meaningless. There is no life apart from the vine. The vine, like I said before, there is no other vine. The world might promise you other ways, other ways to be happy, other ways to be content, other ways to find joy. It does not exist outside the true and living vine, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope, and there is absolutely no other hope. There is no life apart from this vine. And the very branch that you are as a child of Christ, you get your life from Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of a branch that, got, that had life apart from a vine? The vine gives life to the branch. Right. And only a branch that relies on that life from the vine can produce fruit. And listen, every gardener knows that a vine that, or a branch that doesn't produce any fruit is worthless. You grow the vine for the fruit. Come on. Any Branch that does not produce fruit is worthless. We get our life from Christ. We can only produce God-glorifying work by remaining in Christ. And every true Christian, hear me on this, every true Christian bears fruit. There is no such thing as a fruitless 
Christian, the one who made him, maybe makes the profession, maybe prayed the prayer, but then leaves and goes and lives like a devil. Sunday to Sunday Christian, it doesn't exist. One who abides in, their, in the vine, their entire life is defined by the vine. He gives them their very life. And every Christian bears fruit. So abide in Christ. For apart from Him, you can do nothing. Now, he's not speaking of like physical activity. Obviously, everybody does stuff in the world that has no knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But he's saying anything that has eternal worth, anything that has value in God's eyes, only comes through abiding in the vine. Listen, everything else is completely meaningless. And as the book of Ecclesiastes would say, it is vanity. So in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. True faith will result in abiding in Jesus Christ. False faith, merely a profession of Christ, will result in falling away and eternal judgment. In closing... I want you to think about this. Think about a dead branch and think about a living branch. Think about life being in the vine. The only way that dead branch would ever have life, each and every one of us have been dead in our sins. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. And whether we know it or not, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. And the only way to have life pumped into you, the only way to be a living branch is to be in Christ. And remember I said, remain in Him. If you're a dead branch without Jesus Christ, why would for every one second would you go to the left or to the right? Why would you think that there's any importance in anyone else other than Jesus Christ? Why would you think there's any other hope in the world other than Jesus Christ? He is the one we must remain in. You are a dead branch without Him. Remain in the one who gives life. Abide in Christ and bear much fruit. So some questions. Are you a professor of, Christ, of faith? Are you one who just merely says, I like Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but there's no life that's evident of it? Like I said before about Judas, he, he would have told you that he was a Christian. He would have said, I live as a Christian. If you would have asked him, could you imagine? he say, no, I'm not a Christ follower. He's been following Christ for all these years. He would have said all the right things. But inside he had a dead faith. He was a devil. He lived like a devil. Or do you possess true saving faith? Have you come to the vine? Have you been cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ? Are you in the vine? Is the Father pruning you in life? Is He causing you to bear fruit do you see that your life is changing from one degree of glory to the next? Do you look back in your past and say, I'm not that person anymore. God has been changing me day by day. He's been pruning me through life's circumstances. Have you been born again? Have you turned from your sins? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you cried out to God to save you? Have you come to rest in the life-giving vine? Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no hope apart from Him. 
Think about the result of the dead branches cut off and thrown into the fire. Christ loves us and he loves you as you are. He asks you to come, come as a sinner, come as one that is unclean. But listen, he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he will put you on that path that is change, will change your life. And as it says in Philippians 1.6, he who started a good work or began a good work will bring it to completion. God will complete the work that he has started in his children. Find rest in the vine. Find hope in the vine. Abide, remain in the vine. And never cease to trust in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this revelation that you are the only true vine. Lord, I just pray that if anyone here is not a part of your vine, it's a dead branch, Lord, please cause them to call out, cry out for salvation. Lord, you will save them. Please, Lord, grant them no rest in life until they come to you for saving faith. Lord, please save those who are not in your vine. Lord, for those who are your children in this congregation here this morning, I ask that for that pruning work in their life, that you would discipline those who you love, that you would give them the circumstances in life that they need rather than what they want, and that you would cause each and every one of our hearts to trust in you, because you are good and you are worthy. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name.